Welcome to the ninth season of the Combustion Chronicles podcast, where bold leaders combine with big ideas to make life better for all of us. I'm your host, Sean Nason, CEO of Offer Health and founder of Mophie. This season is all about amplifying the voices of badass women leaders in the healthcare industry who are influencing change by thinking big, putting people first, and not being okay with the status quo. Experience matters, culture matters, and revenue matters. That's why it's time to unite to ignite a people-first business revolution, especially industries that affect all of us like healthcare. Dr. Karen Murphy is the Executive Vice President, Chief Innovation Officer, and Founding Director of the Steele Institute for Health Innovation at Geisinger Health, serving rural and urban Pennsylvania. Throughout her career, Dr. Murphy has worked to improve and transform healthcare delivery in both the public and private sectors. Before joining Geisinger, she served as Pennsylvania's Secretary of Health, addressing the most significant health issues facing the state including the opioid epidemic. Prior to her role as secretary, Dr. Murphy served as the director of the State Innovation Models Initiative at the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, leading a 990 million CMS investment designed to accelerate healthcare innovation across the United States. She's also an author and national speaker on health policy and innovation. Welcome to the Combustion Chronicles, Karen. Thanks for having me, Sean. It's a pleasure. Wow. Like you read all of that. I think you've done a little bit in your career, Karen, to really try to do something different in healthcare. So, you know, we talk about leadership and innovation capabilities, and you've got it all. You've done it. You've led some of the biggest initiatives. I remember the $990 million initiative. Where do you get all the energy needed to make all this amazing work happened. Well, Sean, and thanks for pointing out the tremendous opportunities that I've had in my career. And I started my career out as a registered nurse. I worked for a decade in the intensive care unit of a community hospital in Northeastern Pennsylvania. And that experience actually fueled me. It was my foundation and my foundation for all the work that I've done since. And the urgency that we have to innovate and transform on so many different levels (laughs) has really come from working with patients, families, our communities at the, it's the heart of who we are and what we do. So that fuels my energy. I did not know that you um, were an RN first. So that is amazing. And You know, Karen, this year I took on a new role in my life as CEO of a mobile in-office anesthesia company that serves uh, Medicaid, pediatric Medicaid patients. And it's amazing how, when you get entrenched in that, how amazing it is. So you're working in a ton of areas of healthcare at Still Institute, including game-changing things like payment transformation, which, hallelujah, I know we've all been working on that for a while, right? Culture, and even this thing that's all over the news every day now, artificial intelligence. 
<laughs> and I was trying to figure out even Karen could chat GBT do a podcast for us. And you know what? It can. Joe Rogan did one completely with AI. So pretty powerful stuff to talk about here. How do you get your teams to work collaboratively across this ecosystem of care and avoid getting sucked into silos? So that is a great question, Sean. And I think number one, our philosophy is we work with the willing. So we work in a hub and spoke model. So our team will serve as subject matter experts. We only solve problems. We do not innovate for the sake of innovate innovation. So we define innovation as a fundamentally different approach to solving problems that has quantifiable outcomes. So when we are working on a problem with the actual operators, the business units, we really work at leveraging all of our assets within the Steel Institute. So we may have, as you pointed out, our AI team, our data analytics team, our care redesign team, all working on the same projects. That's how we prevent silos. Do they sometimes happen, Sean? I'm not going to tell you. It's perfect. <laughs> yeah. Because nothing in this world is is perfect. But we certainly were, we just had our fifth birthday. So we congratulations, by the way, (laughs) we learned a lot. We've learned a lot of lessons that we try to prevent those silos from happening. And when they do happen, we try to jump on them right away and determine what the problem is and how do we fix it. I want to dive into a couple things that you actually just talked about in that. And my other thing I do in my my world is own a consulting group called Mofi, who focuses just on experience design. Mm-hmm. innovation and strategy a lot in the healthcare space. And you touched on a mindset of ours that I love. We call it where we go where the love is, where you said, go to the willing. And I remember when I worked at Humana, I went to the head of clinical operations. Um, her name was Marston Connolly. And I said, Marston, can I run this human-centered design process to solve a problem for you. And she's like, well, sure, Sean, you know, and and I had a a good relationship with her. And I said, Marston, I'll put my job on the line. If we don't solve this problem and get it moving in the right direction for you, I'll leave the organization, right? So, but I love that. Go to the willing. Can you even dig in a little bit more? Because some people may have, may not understand exactly what you're talking about, where you don't just do innovation for innovation's sake. Listen, I used to be a chief innovation officer. I know what that is. I also know that most of us chief innovation officers, Karen, think the word innovation is nothing but fluff, Uh, (laughs) right? But can you go a little bit, I want to hear your philosophy around, you know, we just don't do innovation for innovation's sake, but we're here to solve problems. Can you dig in just a little bit more around that for us? Sure. So, I, and I think that is popular, Sean, for everybody to say, you know, my title is Chief Innovation and Digital Transformation Officer. And everybody goes, oh, that is so cool. That's a really cool title. It must be a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. It's also the hardest job I've ever had. And the reason it's Amen. <laughs> and it's the reason, and I'm sure you'll agree with this, Sean, the reason it's so difficult is because you want to make a difference that's meaningful. And you truly want to transform from taking a problem, an existing operations process today, 
and transforming it into something that has better results for either the patient, the provider, or whatever external stakeholder that you're trying to trying to work with on this problem. So, you know, we really dig deep and take that very seriously. I'll give you a couple of concrete examples. Virtual nursing, huge now in the digital space, truly a transformation in that we use virtual nurses to admit and discharge patients from the hospital. Terrific opportunity to help the strained workforce that we have on the inpatient side. So our team on that, how we work to work with virtual nursing, the key leaders are the nursing leaders, right? Of course, they're the ones that actually own the process, but we use human-centered design to talk about how do we design virtual nursing. So it's just not automating the process we had before. There's an actual transformation process that we go through. And then also we do technology support. So we help them pick out what are the best cameras? How do we, how do we leverage technology to improve the experience for the nurses and the patients and their families? Love those examples. So I'm all about experience, Karen. I worked for the Walt Disney Company and was recruited to healthcare from Walt Disney. So how does culture and experience play into your success as a healthcare organization or even within the Steel Institute? How does culture and experience play into that? It's a really invaluable to be the chief innovation officer at Geisinger because Geisinger has a 20-year national reputation for innovation, right? So good news is the organization's culture is to innovate. I've never seen a place that innovates and operates at the same time. And what I mean by that is really heavy innovation at every level of the organization. So that's a tremendous advantage. And it it allows us when we really want to look for a transformative process that will enable the change to take place. Um, we have the we have the culture to support us. Love it. Love it. All right. We're going to talk a little bit more personally now and engaging around your journey because you've definitely seen the breadth of healthcare delivery from designing state innovation models um, at CMS to running states models as a secretary of health. Can you tell me what's made you such an effective healthcare innovator? I go back to the foundation of understanding. I always say during my time, so I spent a long time at the hospital where I was a registered nurse. I think, Sean, I worked in every department in that hospital but the morgue, I always say. (laughs) Um, And my last position there, I was president CEO. But I would say to you that what my time there influenced my future was I worked with so many that wanted to change, were willing to change, and just didn't have the way to change. And that influenced me to be able to articulate, you know, first, you have to create the sense of urgency. Why do we have to change? You know, what is the problem? COVID, one of the silver linings of COVID was you didn't have to talk about the case of urgency. We had urgency to innovate throughout for two solid years nonstop. What enables me is to have the understanding of those that we're working with, their perspective. And, you know, I always say I'd like to change the world as long as nobody changes me. But (laughs) we want to be sure 
from my perspective, I always want to be sure that I'm embracing others' perspectives as I would have appreciated when I was at the bedside. Yeah, and pause in a moment because I love that statement that you made. I giggled about it, but I'm all about change until you're changing me, mm-hmm. right? And think about that. I think about that a lot in the clinical space, right? And in my role as CEO, we have clinical and non-clinical at Offer Health. And I tell people clinical are your best partners to innovate around until you touch what they're doing. <laughs> Right. And then it's a little, it's a little hairy. So I love that though. When you're a kid, waiting in a line isn't much fun. But when you're always in the back of the line, well, that totally sucks. Founded by three frustrated anesthesiologists who grew tired of watching the kids at the back of the line not get the care they deserved, Offer Health reimagines outdated healthcare models and improves the lives of the underserved and under-resourced one kid at a time. Offer SmileMD Business partners with dental practices to serve pediatric patients. Offer Health, creating connections, improving lives, care you deserve. Learn more at OfferHealth.com. That's O-F-F-O-R. So when people think about innovation in healthcare, because we talk about it all the time, and I actually, I do a lot on LinkedIn, and I think Hashtag healthcare innovation has like 19 million people follow it, right? So what do people usually get wrong when they think about healthcare innovation? So I think healthcare is, and you know, you talk about clinical partners. Clinical partners are taking care of live human beings, right? So, you know, you can't get a lot wrong when you're taking care of a live human being. You have to, it's a different, it's a different playing field. I think what we get wrong in healthcare innovation is there's a lack of balance between patients and allowing for failure and then allowing iteration and don't expect short-term successes from long-term strategies. So I think that's one thing, Sean. I think the other part is that healthcare is a complex industry. And, you know, when you're dealing, when we look at transformation of other industries, such as banking, retail, you know, they have the ability to shut off the, close the bank, develop a website for retail while you had nothing, while you weren't impacting the retail uh, bricks and mortar stores. We don't have that opportunity, right? We have to be innovating on the ground, real life, real life situations, and we can't we really can't close our doors and say, we'll get back to you when we transform this process. So I think that's, I think that's, and I think the other piece is that, you know, we haven't been heretofore dramatically successful in healthcare innovation. I mean, I have to admit it, it, it's the truth. It is. So I think that's why those naysayers, when you say, Oh, they do innovation. You know, you have those people who go, what is innovation? You know, how, what really is innovation? And I think that leads to a lot of the skepticism. Yeah. And I think it's such a struggle. You know, I, I moved to healthcare in 2011 when I left Disney. And yeah, I just, I've seen this up and down. And you have too, right? Like that all of a sudden, there is such a skepticism and 
I also think we're also in that time that you're starting to see innovation decline again in healthcare. So the fact that your role is still sitting there is so powerful. It says how amazing you have done as a healthcare leader that they still believe in it and, and are moving forward with it. So we always talk about being human-obsessed and maverick-minded. I talk about it a lot on social media. And so, and I'm really interested in how work is reaching actual people, patients, associates in the workplace, and making their lives better. And I know that's what your team is doing using human-centered design. Can you, I know you just gave us one story, but what impact has your team's work made on the humans in your care? Is there is there a favorite story around that that you go, this was so impactful? I have a couple. Awesome, pick, I love them. I'll pick the highlights. One very successful transformation that we were able to partner with a company called, an Israeli company called Medial, was on detecting high, those who are at high risk for colon cancer. We partnered with them. They developed an algal marker based on AI that actually was able to produce a list of individuals that were at a much higher risk than treating everyone who had care gaps of no colonoscopy the same way. So we were able to prioritize those patients and reach out to those patients and say, you know what, Mrs. Jones, we just recognize you're a very, very high risk and you haven't had a colonoscopy in five years. We estimate through, we've been doing this for four years, screening thousands of patients. We estimate that we're saving about five lives a year now by just that one action. So really proud of that hard, you know, the most important return that you could ever have, right, is saving a human life. And that speaks to my heart, Karen. Stage three colon cancer last year. Yep. So speaks to my heart. <laughs> but that that I mean to to really get into that and to say that's what we're here to do. I mean, yeah. that is that is the type of transformation we're here to do. So the other example that I could give is you're familiar with remote patient monitoring. So everybody's doing remote patient monitoring, big in COVID. Well, we decided that we wanted to do a remote patient monitoring program. A little bit different. And what we mean by that is we really want to do an evidence-based program that, you know, you could monitor, you could monitor everybody, but just because you could doesn't mean you should. So we're developing evidence-based remote patient monitoring programs. Just finished our, we have about 400 patients in a, a very complex population of hypertension that are cared for by nephrologists. So we have a team of community health workers, registered nurses, and pharmacists who actually intervene with patients with complex hypertension. And we have been able to demonstrate clear results that we've avoided admissions, um, we've avoided ED visits, and the patients feel much more in control because they're in contact with someone. And it's not an episodic event that they're going to a doctor every other month. They're being monitored every day. And we have also developed graduation criteria. So they're just a couple examples of we know we're touching lives. And like I said, that's why we're here. Wow. Again, you stole my heart in your first one, but Jen, just the impact that you're making. I wish my insurer would have had something like <laughs> yours. And because I was a four-year late in getting my colonoscopy and but thank God I at the six-month mark. Next week, I get my six-month test. And 
but yeah, such powerful things. And so this season, Karen, as uh, my listeners know, we are we are listening and hearing stories from amazing women in leadership and healthcare. And we've talked a lot about human-centered design today and that process. Do you have a favorite part in human-centered design when you think about the steps of human-centered design? Is there one that you go, I really like this, or um, this one really speaks to my heart more? Because we're going to jump into a little exercise that we're adding this season around how might we statements. So do you have a favorite one, that, a favorite part of the, the human-centered design process that you like? I do. And you're going to laugh when I say it. It's the end where you have transformed. You look at the beginning of where you started and you end up with the transformation. And yet you, it wasn't some... It wasn't some order that came down. There was engagement. There was thought. So that's my favorite is the end. Well, that's funny because my favorite part is the beginning. I'm all mm-hmm. about empathy. I could do that work in the ethnographic research forever. So just like you, my team at Mofi and what we do at All for Health use the methodology and mindsets of human-centered design and everything that we do. And so the part of the methodology around how might we statements is starting to frame a problem. And so I threw a how might we statement together that I'm actually going to put a two-minute timer on. So if people hear the two-minute timer go off, it's because we're going to only give ourselves two minutes to do this. And you and I are going to jam here for a second, Karen, on this statement. How might we shift the healthcare industry from being sick care to health and wellness care. And I'm going to hit start and give me some of your ideas. So, Sean, this is what Geisinger is all about. So we're all about population health. We're all about uh, swimming upstream and really trying to create uh, value in home care, self-care, preventative care. It is why I talked about the Medial. But I think in order for us as a nation to embrace this, you started out by talking earlier in the in our conversation where you said payment transformation, you know, hallelujah. We have got to get to a payment transformation that promotes wellness, promotes prevention, and does not incentivize. Right now, we're all incentivized just to focus on sick. We're incentivized to focus on high cost tech, high tech procedures. And that is not the right focus that that we should have. We will always have people who are chronically ill. We will always have open heart surgery. We always have hip replacements. But there is so much more we could do in social determinants of health. So much more we could do with preventative medicine, education, um, promoting healthy lifestyles. But until we get paid, to be able to do that, it's not that providers don't want to do that. It's that the infrastructure is set up to be a sick system and the whole payment system is, is set up to go against that. So if you had a magic wand right now, Karen, what's the one thing you would do in payment transformation that you would get rid of? The one thing I'd get rid of is fee-for-service input in multi-payer global budgets. There it is. Because <laughs> my one thing I would get rid of is completely get rid of pre-offs. Because pre-offs 
like let clinicians practice. They know what they need. Get rid of that. So, well, Karen, thank you so much. Such a wealth of knowledge. So many great stories. But it has come to that point in our episode where we do this thing called the combustion questions. And the combustion questions, Karen, are three randomly selected questions I talk about. I have my own AI robot that hands me these three, but it's actually a human who hands them to me. So I just looked at them for the very first time. So Karen, are you ready for your three combustion questions? I am ready. Awesome. All right. Combustion question number one, Karen. Do you prefer coffee, tea, or something else? Coffee. And why? Wakes me up in the morning. Okay. Gives gives me energy. Gives you energy. Love it. Combustion question number two. What's your most treasured possession? Probably my phone. <laughs> okay. I definitely have to ask why on that one, Karen. Why is your phone? I'm connected to my phone constantly. That's probably not something I should be. I should be. <laughs> and I, I think the other thing, my other possession is I have a mini Bernie doodle that I bought during the pandemic that was going to be 30 pounds and he weighs a hundred now. So he's my other favorite possession. Do we need to put him into preventative care? (laughs) No, no. He was actually, I thought I was getting a mini Bernard doodle, but he was actually a Bernice mountain dog. Holy cow. Yep. So you've had to get a bigger bed because (laughs) I had to actually put my lab on a diet. He reached a hundred pounds and now he's down to 80. So I get that. All right. Last one. What do you think about turtles? Not much. Not no, I never think about a turtle. They're slow. <laughs> I love it. Awesome. All right, Karen, what's the best place for people to reach out, follow you, follow your thought leadership? I'm assuming LinkedIn. LinkedIn is the best. Message me on LinkedIn. Awesome. Well, Karen, thank you so much for today. Thank you again for your stories and your input and all the amazing things you're doing across the healthcare ecosystem. So thank you, be well, and stay safe. Thank you, Sean. It's my pleasure today. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Combustion Chronicles. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a few minutes to subscribe, rate, and review. Remember that I'm always looking to meet more big-thinking mavericks. So let's keep the conversation going by connecting on LinkedIn. If you want to discover more about human-obsessed, maverick-minded leadership, go to mofi.co or go to experienceevangelist.com. To learn more about my mission to challenge leaders to blow up outdated, siloed systems and rebuild them with an aligned, human-first approach. You can also learn more about OfferHealth's commitment to reimagining outdated healthcare models at offerhealth.com. As always, Stay safe, be well, and keep blowing shit up.